This episode of the Outside Podcast is brought to you by Trexmith, a proudly independent running brand that makes high-performance products for real-world athletes. Or as founder Matt Taylor likes to put it, amateurs. We really go back to the original roots of the word amateur, and it comes from meaning for the love. You're running because you love it. It has nothing to do with how fast you are, how many miles you run. Running becomes something that, you know, when you wake up in the morning, you start thinking about, okay, when, what am I going to do today? What's my run or what's my workout? Matt was a competitive runner in high school and college. Later, after years of working in the running industry, he recognized that companies had forgotten about the athletes who make up the heart of the sport. He created Tracksmith in 2014 opening up shop right along the Boston Marathon route and building a team made up of passionate runners. From the get-go, they've crafted exceptional technical apparel with a classic New England aesthetic. We put a lot of focus on material selection and material science, and you know, merino wool is a, is a perfect example. It is an amazing performance fabric. It's soft, it's moisture wicking, it keeps you cool, the greatest attribute of merino for a runner is that it literally doesn't smell. But not all merino wool is the same. For Tracksmith products, Matt's team selected a unique and extraordinarily lightweight blend. And then they put it to the test in the way that only an authentic crew of runners could. I actually made everyone on the team wear the exact same shirt for two weeks every run. Some people were running, you know, 80 miles a week, some were running 30, but you had to wear the same shirt every time you ran. No washing, and at the end of the two weeks, the, the merino literally did not retain any of the odor that you would normally have in a technical tee. Tracksmith's shorts, tops, and jackets don't look or perform like anything you see in the running market these days, which is by design. And it's a big reason the brand has earned a dedicated following among, well, amateurs. People really appreciate the care and the attention to detail. The best for us is when someone will write into us and say, I didn't know what to make of you at first, and now your product's the only product I run in. Right now, Tracksmith is offering outside podcast listeners $15 off your first purchase of $75 or more. Go to tracksmith.com outside and enter the code OUTSIDEPOD at checkout. That's tracksmith.com outside and code OUTSIDEPOD. All one word. From Outside Magazine and PRX, this is the Outside Podcast. I haven't ran yet today, but I will get out there before 8 o'clock. And, you know, I'm definitely not going to be out there after 8 o'clock because, like I said, I've already been stopped a couple of times when the midnight. So can you imagine what they would try to do to me or say to me? if they catch a black man running during these crazy times after curfew. That's Coffee. He lives in Brooklyn, New York, and is a well-known figure in the city's vibrant running scene. Like so many runners in New York and across the country, he has continued to get his miles in during the COVID-19 pandemic. And like every runner whose skin is black or brown, he has faced the same risks of harassment and violence that were present before the virus arrived, along with new dangers. In the last two weeks, after protests erupted in the wake of George Floyd's murder, the threats have multiplied. If you haven't noticed, there's been a running boom in the age of coronavirus, with all kinds of people deciding to lace up their shoes and get outside, because, well, the CrossFit gyms and SoulCycle studios have been closed. And being stuck inside, it sucks. 
Even in areas that have endured strict shelter-in-place orders, outdoor exercise has been allowed, if not encouraged. At one press conference, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo announced his intention to return uh, to running. I'm going to take up running again. He wasn't worried about contagions or the challenges of breathing hard through a mask, and certainly not about being attacked. His concern was keeping up with his daughter. My daughter, Cara, we're going to run as a family. We're going to go out there. Cara's got a head start. She's out there doing five miles every day. She thinks she can beat me. Give me a couple of weeks. I'm going to be right there, right there, fast like lightning. It wasn't too long after that press conference that a viral video revealed the tragic shooting of Ahmad Arbery, a 25-year-old black man who was running near his home in Georgia back in February when two white men in a truck chased him down and killed him. Not surprisingly, the tragedy hit Coffee really hard. He'd grown up in the rural South, and he'd had enough encounters while running over the years to know it could easily have been him or one of his four kids. But it was also an incident for which he has a deeply considered response, one that could not be more timely. Last Wednesday, a short film that Coffee co-wrote, produced, and plays a role in called About the People premiered online at aboutthepeoplefilm.com. Spurred by real-life experiences, it examines the social injustice and racial inequality in America through an often volatile conversation between men who are pillars in the black community. They gather in a conference room to develop a plan to re-engineer the country's power structures. I see with a large enough concentration, I can convince a black bank to open up a branch. But understand something, guys. This is not a five-year game, right? It's not even a 10-year game. This is a 20-year-long plan that we have to implement. We all have to be committed and on the same page with this. For Coffee, creating such a heavy film is just the latest turn in a long and winding professional career that has depended on his unique set of talents and his running. Since arriving in New York more than 20 years ago, he's been a professional model, a fashion editor and brand consultant, an actor, a writer, and a filmmaker. I knew that running would be that one thing that would keep me neutral, and it would be that one time where I can spend time to myself and try to figure things out. You know, whether it was what's next in life, whether it was a problem that I had to figure out um, on my own and, and try to come up with the answer, or if it did have to do with work, I can also, you know, do my job while working by thinking about that what that problem is within my mind. So that's why I love running, because it, it's kind of like my medicine. And that's the one medicine that I pay attention to and that I know that I need so much. It's my therapy. It didn't start that way, though. After a childhood in small-town Aurora, North Carolina, Coffee played college basketball at Virginia Union University, where he studied speech and drama. He came to New York with dreams of being an actor, but instead found his way into modeling and fashion. He started running because he needed to stay in shape. I mean, after graduating and, and, and coming to, you know, moving to New York. I was in shape moving here, but you know, you kind of eat all times of night, you know, with the, the pizza slices, the Chinese food, and you know, everything else that, you know, you weren't accustomed to in the South. So you come here, you take advantage of that. In the early 2000s, Coffee turned to a trainer and nutritionist named Calvin Dukes, who got him to adjust his eating habits and start running on a treadmill in a nice slow setting for an hour at a time. And, and then he told me, he said, once your body knows that that is too slow, trust me, you're going to know and you're going to speed it up two notches each and every time. 
And I did that on the treadmill for for like, you know, a year and a half or two years. And I lost, man, I lost, I was a solid 200 pounds. I lost literally 30 pounds in like three and a half to four months. He kept pounding away on the treadmill for a couple of years. He got to the point where he was running 16 miles a day, eight in the morning, and then eight more at night before bed. Then a friend started pushing him to get outside for a group run, and eventually, coffee relented, showing up to meet a crew for a seven-mile run that began at Nike Town in Manhattan. And when we ran the seven miles, um, this is no lie, when we first ran the seven miles, we was done so quickly, man, that I was like, wait, we ran seven miles already? And then I realized it wasn't that it was so quick. It was that you was actually having conversation with other people while running and you was enjoying the run together. And that took your mind off running. And that's when I was like, oh, I got, I have to keep coming. Like that was different. And I kept going, I kept going and kept going. Like it didn't matter what day, like they, they served these things every Tuesday, Thursday and the long runs were Saturday. And I would go each and every time. And as I was going, I was just like loving the fact of sharing miles with other people. But there was something different about coffee than the other people. And one evening before a run, one of the running leaders pointed it out to him. There was this lady who was a pacer, Nike pacer, and she brought it to my attention. Her name is Angela. And she asked me, um, she was used to me coming every, every um, time that they offered these runs. And she told me to look around and tell her, you know, what I see. And I looked around, and at first, I didn't really realize what she was talking about. And then she asked me again, and then I looked around, and I gave her some, like, crazy answer. And then she said, no, look in the mirror, take a look in the mirror, and look at yourself. And when I looked at myself, she said, understand that you are the only Black person here, and don't stop coming, because we need more of you here. And I looked around again, and I was just like, oh my God, she is like, she's so right. And when that hit me, I said to myself right then and there, I never stop running. And it's my job to get more of us out here to run. He took that job seriously, working to become a Nike pacer himself. I wasn't going to just be a member of the team. That's how I was going to use my influence to get more black people to come and take these take these roads and streets and, you know, get some miles up. I knew it was a challenge. I love challenges. Like, anybody that challenged me to do anything, I love to tackle that and prove them wrong. And for this, the challenge was for me to get my own people out there to make sure they, they, they become healthy and to also make sure that they love this thing so much that they eat, shit, and sleep it. That's what I wanted. I wanted them to breathe this thing like so much that if they don't get a run in that into their day, then their day isn't completed. And you know, now we're seeing a lot more African Americans here in New York, as well as Hispanics and and Asians that are joining and running marathons. And yes, I'm in charge of training them to 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 get to 26.2 miles. And when they cross that line, man, it's a it's an amazing feeling. And I don't I never take credit for for any of that because they're the ones that actually run this thing and they're the ones that actually have to believe that they can finish this thing. I'm just the one to help them believe. They always had the miles within them. They just needed to be encouraged the appropriate way. And that's where I come in at. One of the things Coffee became known for was leading his runners off route. 
He was tired of seeing the same streets over and over again, especially in a city that offered so much variety. For him, running was an opportunity for exploration. It was in that spirit that he created the Define New York Run Club at the beginning of 2020. He invited runners to meet him at a speakeasy in Brooklyn on Saturday mornings, and he wouldn't tell them how far they'd be running. But the, the main surprise was to tell them not where we was running because, you know, that would actually help them more to get out of bed early Saturday morning because they would be so excited to see where coffee was actually taking them. And a lot of things that I'm thrilled by is graffiti, art, um, abandoned buildings, you know, these murals that are all different places in New York, but also black history, like, you know, where Jackie Robinson used to play with the Brooklyn Dodgers, you know, where Weeksville is at. Weeksville was actually the first black community here in Brooklyn. You know, those are the things that that thrills uh, my runners to come run with me. And, and I'm an adventurous runner. Like, I love seeing different things. I would never take them to the, to the same destination. And that's how I wanted to start, you know, Define New York, make Define New York totally different. I didn't want to run from a coffee shop. I didn't want to run from any type of brand shop or a running shop. I wanted to everything to be different from A through Z. In his own solo running, coffee does more than bury his roots. Over the years, he's found that his favorite time to explore the city Is it midnight? For me, New York is different when it's sleeping than when it is when it's awake. You know, traffic could be on one block and this block will look totally different than midnight than it did earlier in the daytime when the sun was shining. And it smells different, too. You know, New York is a character to me, and I'm steady trying to figure out, you know, which character it is the night that I run. Because it can be Santa Claus one night, but then the next night, you know, it could be just as evil as a devil, depending on where you run. And, and you know, and, and I just feel like being outside at midnight is something about midnight that I'm fascinated by. I mean, just seeing the different buildings, man, and the brownstones, and then when you, you know, depending on where you run and just seeing the trains go over the bridge, like... All that is a story to me, and and I'm still trying to figure out that story. I'm still a little kid in the candy store trying to figure out, you know, what flavor lollipop it is that I want to take that my mother is allowing me to purchase. But Coffee had another motivation for putting in his miles when the streets were empty. When I did run at daytime by myself, I would always get crazy stares. And I know why. Here's this black man, big black, tall black man, and he's running. So, you know, at that time, it looked awkward. It still feels awkward today. So to avoid that type of feeling is another reason why I ran midnight, because I'm the only thing out there running at midnight. No one else is. I barely saw anyone else out there at midnight. It will always just be me. And and when I would go out to run at midnight, my wife will always say, you know, I love you. That's a given, right? But because she knows that I'm a black man out there running at midnight, she worries. So her most important words to me weren't, um, I love you anymore. It was, please be careful, because she wanted to make sure that I came back in one piece. Coffee has been trailed and stopped by the police a number of times. First question is, let me see your ID. Well, who really runs with the ID? Uh, I don't know too many people that, that do. If so, then I would say that I'm in the wrong. But... I never run with ID. And then, you know, my questions would be, why are you stopping me? And I've had a couple, well, why are you in this neighborhood at this time? And I would come back and tell them, look, 
Why are you asking me why I'm here? You see what I'm doing. You follow me. I didn't follow you. And, you know, and I've been followed uh, a couple times or down a couple blocks. And I knew, okay, the light is going to come on soon. But the one thing that I can't let happen is something that my grandfather told me. Don't ever let anybody put fear in you. Because, you know, once that person sees fear, then you become a whole totally different person. And... I'm not about to allow what they feel or how they see me stop me from doing something that I actually enjoy. And if they feel like, you know, their 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 fear is coming from the fact that I'm black, then that's their problem. We'll be right back. At the top of the episode, we heard from Tracksmith founder Matt Taylor about the performance staples Tracksmith makes for your life lived on the run. To develop new products, Matt relies on his team of passionate athletes, which includes elite middle distance runners Mary Kane and Nick Willis, who work full-time for Tracksmith even as they train for the Tokyo Olympics. This is a crew that knows how to focus on what matters, like the unique Italian nylon knit for their shorts or the antimicrobial finish on their soft and breathable merino wool tees. They also take advantage of their own running experiences to develop unexpected products like the Falmouth short. The inspiration came from my not-so-great experience running the steeplechase at the Penn Relays. If you haven't heard of the Penn Relays, it's the oldest and largest track and field competition in the country. It's a wild event, which is why it's often called the Penn Relays Carnival. I wore a longer pair of mesh shorts, and the first time through the water jump, the shorts got a little wet. The second time, they were getting wetter and wetter and heavier and heavier, and I found myself constantly trying to pull them back up. And around the fourth lap, every time I approached the water jump, you could hear the chants of people going, long shorts, long shorts, long shorts. Because what serious runner runs in long shorts, right? Well, Matt did. And he figured others would, too. We wanted a short that maybe you could feel super comfortable, you know, hanging out at the beach for the day or going for a run and then meeting a friend for, you know, a cup of coffee and not be in your split shorts. The secret really is the fabric. It's this absolutely incredible fabric. It performs amazingly well, but in a, in a look and an aesthetic that you don't immediately go, that's a running short. Learn more about the Falmouth shorts and all of Tracksmith's exceptional running apparel at tracksmith.com outside and enter the code OUTSIDEPOD at checkout for $15 off your first purchase of $75 or more. That's tracksmith.com outside and code OUTSIDEPOD, all one word. After COVID-19 took hold of New York in March, Coffee says he never took a break from running. This despite some very legitimate reasons to stay home. Besides the small risk of contagion, there's been a lot of anger and fear directed at runners. Profane signs popped up around the city telling runners to mask up. A series of articles in the New York media targeted runners as selfish spreaders of the virus, with one labeling joggers angels of death. Coffee's preference for midnight running meant that he avoided most of those conflicts. He also wore a bandana over his face, though that choice came with its own set of dangers. I already look like, you know, troubling because I'm black with a beard, with an afro, depending on what I look like that day. Now here you go with the same guy with a mask or a bandana on his face. I run with bandanas. 
So imagine me being covered up and, you know, I'm giving you an example. I got the bandana on now, but imagine me with the bandana being covered up. Now I look like I'm about to rob the bank. So I know there's fear to white America because that's how they labeled us from the beginning. But I don't think that's my problem. Because that person is afraid of how I look, I think the problem belongs to the person and whoever the people are that raised that person to believe that a black person is a threat and that this is all they do and they're violent and, 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 you know, and everything else under the sun. But whoever looks at me like a thug or criminal, again, that's their problem. Coffee is very clear on the fact that racism would not prevent him from running where and when he wanted. But it was a conversation about the harsh realities of racial violence in his own family a few years ago that spurred him to create the story that became about the people. I had a teenage son who was about to be a senior in high school, and his freshman, sophomore, and junior year, his curfew was 10 o'clock. It should have been earlier, but we in New York, and you know New York is full of basketball courts and parks and all that. So I wasn't hard on him. I was just telling him, be home by 10 o'clock. And he made sure he was home at 10 o'clock. But you know, at 10 o'clock, it was dark. So they knew, him and his friends knew what time to leave so they can make the stop to get something to eat. And then he would be here in the house by 10. His senior year, when he asked me for a curfew, I didn't give him one. I felt like he was older, he was wiser. Let me see what time he feel like is a great time to come home. You know, pretty much giving him a challenge, but also testing him just to see, you know, what's what's up his sleeve, you know, letting him live, letting him breathe, because this time now we're talking he's about to be 18. So I know that because I've been 18 before, so I know that feeling. So I didn't give him a time. And for three straight nights, man, he comes home at 8 o'clock. And here in the summertime, 8 o'clock, the sun is still bright and shining. And that made me question myself, well, damn, should I have not given him a curfew his freshman, sophomore, and junior year? Because he's coming home at 8 o'clock. And, you know, and then I start cracking jokes with him or whatnot. And then, you know, he was like, nah, you know, laugh it off the first or second day. And then, you know, on the third day, that's when I was like, all right, somebody must be, you know, fucking with him. Let me see what the deal is by asking him and if this is the case then I go wherever the wherever he's playing ball at and have a conversation with the guys and that's strictly it just have a conversation in hopes that you know it won't spark into anything else you know so him and his friends could play ball without having to worry about anything but after the conversation he was just straightforward and he was just like nah dad um me and my friends are making sure we get home before dark so we won't get killed by the cops and when he said that, that was the that was the first time I didn't have an answer. And it bothered me, man. Like, it, 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 it literally, it bothered me. Um, and I didn't know what to do. So from there, I couldn't even look at him eye to eye. He didn't know that, but I couldn't even look at him eye to eye because I, I, didn't, I couldn't sugarcoat that. I couldn't say, you know, it's not going to happen to you. I couldn't do that. I don't believe in being fake when it comes to those type of things. You know, if he had had a fight, gotten beat up, I could have easily said, you know, well, don't worry about it. You'll get him next time. Or if he fell off a bike, I could have easily said, man, don't worry about that. So you got, you're going to fall. You're going to fail a lot of more times. So just get up, wipe yourself off. In this situation, I couldn't do that. And me being creative, I figured, you know what? 
let me respond to not just him, but respond to all of America. Because here I have this boy going through that. Can you imagine how many other black kids or people of color are going through the exact same thing? So if I respond to him verbally here, the only person that's going to hear it is him and my, you know, and my wife and my other kids. Let me do something where everybody can get the answer to that. And about the people was what surfaced. I didn't tackle it from the conversations that him and I had. And I also didn't want to showcase a cop killing somebody else, which is, you know, a lot of other films was already showing that. I wanted to be as real as possible. Think 12 Angry Men. I love I love that movie. So I was thinking, okay, let me take 12 Angry Men route, put all these men in one room and hash it out. So what are we going to do about that? Police are killing people every day. You know that. That's why we're here, to remind ourselves that there's something greater at play than the individual events in all of our lives. But also, let's make it like a college lecturer. But also, these people have to know what they're talking about. So that's where the dialogue comes from. That's why the dialogue is the way it is. That we witness daily in our lives, in the lives of our loved ones. Change begins in community. Me running at midnight is where I built these characters and and decided, okay, this is who we want inside of this room. I didn't want to give these characters names. Let's give them jobs. Let's give them professions. Let the audience come in and figure out who's who without them having to say who's who. And it had to be real and it had to be meaningful. And it had to let people know that this is one of the things that has to be done in order for us to survive. And basically it sums down to buying back into your community. As Coffee was gearing up to release the film, the video of Ahmaud Arbery's murder went viral. I asked Coffee what he went through during his first run after seeing the video, and if that run was able to provide him the kind of medicine and therapy that it usually does. It was the only time in our long conversation that he got emotional. It calmed me down. I, 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 um, hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, it can't, it can't, it can't, it, um, it calmed me down because it, it, to be honest, if if I didn't run, if I didn't run, uh, there's a lot of people that know that um, once I, I lose control, I lose control, and I, and I lost control um, once that happened because I know that could have been me from running in the country myself. I know that feeling um, when I'm in the country running. I make sure that. My um, sister follows me because of those type of situations. So when that happened, um, I knew about it in February. It didn't become nationwide until two months later, which I felt like was disrespectful to him and his family, especially being that there was a video. But that run after seeing that video calmed me down because at that point, I could have easily went down the wrong path and did whatever to whoever that was looking at me the wrong way and to certain people that I know are racist here. I was just pissed off. 
just like, you know, the rest of the world. Just pissed off that, you know, these cowards could do such a thing and get away with it. So that was hard for me. That was hard for me. That was hard for me as an individual. And that was hard for me as a parent. And then George Floyd and Breonna Taylor comes right after that. On Friday evening, May 29th, five days before I spoke to Coffee, he was at his home when a protest started outside the Barclays Center, the arena that's the home of the Brooklyn Nets. The protesters made their way to his neighborhood of Fort Greene, and he went outside with his phone and began streaming what he was seeing on Instagram Live. Coffee says the protest remained peaceful, with only vulgar chants at the police, until things took a sudden turn after the police threw a black teenager up against a wall in Fort Greene Park. And everybody came over and they just took the cops and threw the cops off the boy and the boy got away because he wasn't really doing anything. He was just one of the ones that was chanting like everybody else. But because I guess, you know, he was a black, he was a black teenager and because he was right there, you know, he was small. So once the guy, once the, um, the crowd threw the cops off of him, they grabbed the cops, grabbed somebody else. And then the crowd threw the cops off of them. And then that's when the cops realized that um, they were outnumbered and they left. And when they left, that's when you heard people say, oh, shit, they left their van. Let's fuck that van up. That's when they start shattering the windows of the van. I mean, some of the windows was already cracked because the, the crowd was already throwing bottles. But then they, you know, they lit the van on fire. And, you know, that made headlines. And that's how it turned. That's how the peaceful protest turned into like a, a small riot. The next morning was Saturday. So Coffee went out for his usual long exploratory run. This time, without planning to, he ran just over the length of a marathon. He says he had a lot to think about. When he ran by the spot where the van had been burned the night before, he noticed that someone had used the ashes to write Black Lives Matter on the sidewalk. And while he was out there, he came up with an idea for a different kind of protest that would bring the New York run crews that have been isolated since the pandemic began back together safely to do something positive. So what I figured is that I would get called on all run crews here in New York City and we'll all meet up at a destination. We will be social distancing and we're going to get together and we're going to do a one mile run protest. And then when we get back, the run crew captains, we're all going to talk to everyone that's there and tell them how they can help. And being that, you know, majority of the people that have texted and emailed me that have asked me, you know, that are white, that asked me that, you know, they want to do something, they want to know how they can help. We would, I would be telling them there how they can help because truth, truthfully, they can help. They can help. There's a, there's a lot of ways that they can help. And the fact that they are willing to take that stand, that's a stance in the right direction there that, that, that lets you know, okay, this world is about to change. At the end of our conversation, I asked Coffee if there was anything else he wanted to share. This is what he said. My name is Coffee. I'm a boy from Aurora, North Carolina, who had a dream to make it out because my town was like 500 people. And due to sports, I made it out. And now I live in New York City, which I think at least was the best city to ever be a part of. I run miles. I have a great family. And I'm a black man. And no one would never, ever be able to put 
fear in me because of the color of my skin. And I would never, ever put fear in you because of the color of yours. The protest run that Coffee is organizing is scheduled for Sunday, June 14th at 10 a.m. It will begin at the East River Amphitheater in Lower Manhattan. You can learn more details by following Coffee on Instagram. He's at that coffee boy. Coffee is spelled C-O-F-F-E-Y. The short film About the People is available online at aboutthepeoplefilm.com. This episode was produced by me, Michael Roberts, with music by Robbie Carver. Special thanks to Coffee for recording his side of our conversation. This episode was brought to you by Tracksmith, a proudly independent running brand that makes high-performance products for real-world athletes. Right now, Tracksmith is offering outside podcast listeners $15 off your first purchase of $75 or more. Go to tracksmith.com outside and enter the code OUTSIDEPOD at checkout. That's tracksmith.com outside and code OUTSIDEPOD. All one word. We'll be back next week.